If you're all here, and I'm assuming you are, to hear from Alan Platt, a great friend of mine and and I'm assuming becoming one of yours, uh, I want to invite you to do this. Um, It's just easier for him to connect with his audience. So would all of you please move into this section right here? He's already set up a table and a chair, and uh, he's just ready to serve you, but wants to give you his best. And so uh, if you would meet him in this area... We would greatly appreciate it. That's for you. That's exactly it. That's you it. are. Thanks, 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 thanks. thanks. I want the other. You can smoke off my keys on the All right. Now that you're all finding your place. Let's just pretend like, you know, this is the biggest thing you've ever been a part of in your life. So let's put our hands together and welcome Alan Platt, all the way from Pretoria, South Africa. Well, well, well. It is absolutely marvelous to spend this uh, hour with you. And uh, in the knowledge that you have had a full uh, few days, and I trust that this will just bring another layer of God's grace and uh, passion for what you're doing in, into your ministry and into your life. So we really pray that God will be with us and His grace would be tangible in this session. Um, I uh, spoke yesterday sharing a little bit about a reference of how we could become more engaged in our community where we discover that we don't come to church for a program, but that we are the program. And it's incredible once your people that you are serving and leading make that discovery because you move them from being consumers of something that you have to generate to make sure that they will stay and stick with you because of the power of the program to the place where they come alongside to share a mission and a dream and they become carriers of that vision and dream. So... I would like to share with you today a little bit more about how does that practically find expression uh, within our own journey as Doxadeo and as we have engaged through the last 20 years of ministry. But I want to start by giving you four critical questions that I consistently ask myself as a leader. And these questions have helped me in my own journey and in my positioning as a leader. Um, As you know, uh, if you were here yesterday uh, in the plenary session, we started out as a church that had about 350 people in the church after massive leadership crises. That has grown over 20 years to a church now of 30,000 people, 10 campuses, very complex, 
At that stage, we were two people full-time, three people part-time on staff when we started. Now we run close to 600 people full-time on staff. Very complex. Very, but wh why I'm saying that to you is when we started with just the 350 people, the same leadership principles applied. Exactly the same to where we are now with a very complex leadership organizational design, the basics of this journey are still extreme or, or, or very similar in, in their expression. And these four questions would apply no matter where you are in your own leadership journey. The first one is the, the fundamental question, who is your master? Who is your master. And I'll say a little bit more about that in a moment. But it's a very important question to ask. The second question is, what is my mission? In other words, have I clarified the vision? And am I clear on the strategy? Now, we just referenced that yesterday, as a second point, clarify the strategy when Jesus broke the group up into 50s and 100s. And I'm going to share a little more on that this morning. So the, second, the first two points I'm really going to share um, some more detail on. The third one is, who are my men? And of course, it includes the women. It's just got to get the M's to work, okay? So who are my men? And uh, so you can be a man today. If I can be the bride of Christ, you can be a man. Um, but it's critical for you to clarify who are the people that God is giving into your life in the next season. So I constantly ask that question. Who are the people that in the next season I will journey with? And there's two fundamental things that you need to define in that journey. Who are the people that will invest in my life? And who are the people in whom I will invest my life into, into the next season? In essence, I ask people to define who are the Pauls, Barnabases, and Timothys of their life. All right. And um, it's important to, to just understand um, there is a distinct difference between ministering to the masses and investing in the few. Okay? Jesus ministered to the masses, but then he took time to invest in a few. And you have to make that distinction as a leader. The time that you give to ministry, general ministry to the people, and the time you give to intentional investment in the few, in the Timothys of your life. But it's also important to identify the Pauls, the people that will invest in your own life. All right, so that's a question I ask myself on a continual basis. And then the third thing is, I ask myself the question, what is my message? 
What is my message? In other words, what am I going to focus on? What am I going to communicate? And what am I going to teach? And, and what am I going to invest in the next season? And um, I will perhaps just reference that at the end of our session today in terms of how important it is to understand what you're teaching people is what you're going to get as a result. So what you're preaching is very important. I mean, we believe in teaching and preaching, right? And we, I mean, we believe it changes lives. We, uh, we believe that people actually listen and respond to that. So it's very important if you believe that, that you will be very intentional in terms of what you believe you're communicating to, to people. So it's within that frame of reference that I quickly share a few things with you regarding our own journey. First of all, the question, who is my master? Now, of course, the quick answer to that is Jesus is the master. And we all know that, right? But here's the thing you've got to understand about a master. If you have a master, the master wants to speak. And thank God we have an understanding that our master speaks. Is that true? He speaks. Because if we don't believe that he speaks, we will never hear his voice and be able to do what he's asking us to do. So he speaks. He, there, and God speaks in various ways, and I know you're all quite adept at understanding that principle. But here's the thing that I think is critical for us to understand as leaders. If we know that the master speaks and he asks us to do certain things, then of course the logical implication of that is, is that we will go and do what the master has asked us to do. Is that true? Okay. Up to there, we're all good. Here's the problem. I have found in my journey that after the master has spoken, many times there are voices that sometimes want to speak louder than the voice of the master. And that becomes a challenge to us as Christ followers. Because God speaks, God tells us to do something, and then other voices start bringing contradiction to what the master has asked us to do. And there are various voices, and, and all of us have, have different kind of voices speaking into our lives. But there are voices, voices of insecurity, um, where we know God has spoken something, but now I don't feel I'd be able to do it, and what are the people going to say, and you know, what if it doesn't work, or you know, what of this? And, and we have to navigate those things in our lives. We know that. As part of your leadership journey, you will be confronted with those voices. Voices of tradition in certain areas are strong voices. God says we got to do this, and people just say, hey, but we've never done it that way here before. And I have had to navigate those voices of tradition. Sometimes people are just sentimental about stuff. And, and you feel God has spoken, and you can't believe that people actually you know, feel so strong about something else. And, and it's part of the leadership journey to be able to know how to navigate those references. 
One of the strongest voices that I have had to navigate in my journey is the voice of money. The voice of money. Now, the absence of money is a strong voice. Huh? God said we must do this. We don't have the money. Okay, so there's no money, so we're not going to do it. It's a tension. It's a very difficult thing to navigate. Um, I remember walking into a, 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 a um, leadership meeting, a board meeting. I don't know what you call them here, the guys that kind of govern the church. When I just started, we were going to call a third pastor on staff, and um, we didn't have the money. And I yeah, really wanted this guy to come on staff. And I remember just going into the meeting, just before we went into the meeting, the treasurer, the finance guy, don't know what you call him here, he pulls me aside and he says to me, Alan, I've been there for about two years now, and um, by the grace of God, there was really favor and grace upon the ministry. But he pulls me aside and he says the following to me, he says, he says, Alan, I, I'm walking into this meeting as the responsible financial guy, and I have to tell you there is no money for this appointment. And then he made this statement. He said, but if you can tell me that God has spoken to you, I will back you. Man, I tell you, I froze. Because suddenly I was confronted with somebody saying, I will lay my reputation, I will, I will commit, I will journey with this. I just need one assurance. Did the master speak? Can you truly say to me, can you truly say to me, God has spoken? And for a young leader, I mean, that really rocked my world because suddenly I had to make this call. I had to now say, folks, I really believe God has spoken. But that set me on a course. That put me in a certain uh, trajectory where I realized for the rest of my life as a leader, people are going to follow me on the basis of trusting that I can say, I've heard the voice of the Master. Now, you will know as leaders, those of you that have journeyed, how challenging that is. Because sometimes, you know, you just have a feeling, you have a gut, you have an inclination, you have a sense. And, you know, can you really say God has spoken? Oh, man, that's so difficult many times. But if you know that you know that you know God has spoken, man, that gives you a resolute positioning. And... So the absence of money can be a challenge when, when you know the master has spoken. And, and thank God for a godly finance guy that, that had that as his reference, saying, you know, I, I have to show you this is what's, what it is, but, you know, if God spoke, I'm behind this thing. But the second thing that I've realized in terms of money is it's not always the absence of money that has a voice. The presence of money can have a massive voice. Man, money can talk. Huh? Money gives a false assurance and an attitude and an opinion at times when it could become problematic. Money has a voice. Let me tell you a quick story. When we, we wanted to move to our second campus, 
Um, we had everything set for this move. Uh, we were excited to go. We had facilities that we wanted to take hold of. And the only thing we didn't have at that stage is money. We had momentum. We had people's being passionate about the move. We were excited about the possibility. It was our first move. This is 1996. Nothing like this has ever happened in the church world in our country before. So we were pioneering something, and um, we wanted this thing to work, but I knew I needed money. And at that stage, we needed the equivalent of about $200,000 to make this thing happen with the whole move and the venue and the stuff and everything and we didn't have that. So uh, <clears throat> I, um, I went and, and uh, uh, prayed this one particular day. I remember going into my office, nine o'clock in the morning, and I prayed. And I said, Lord, I really need money to make this happen. Because if we don't get the money, we can't make the move. And all of the momentum that we've built to go there now, we're going to lose this. And we're all set to something, and I need that amount. About 12 o'clock that day, somebody phones me. He says, Alan, I'm on my way very close to your office. God has spoken to me. I need to give you money. Do you have time? Can I come see you? <laughs> I mean, do I have time? I mean, good Lord, I'll make time. This is, I mean, this is like music to my ears, so I make time. He comes into my office. And he says to me, he says, you know, we've just had this massive deal come off, and I have this um, uh, check that I want to write to you. I want to invest into your ministry, and I really believe in this ministry. And so he takes his checkbook, and he's writing the, the check. Now, you can imagine, I'm sitting on the other side of the desk, but I cannot wait to see how many zeros are going to be in that check. I mean, uh, I don't know what he's writing. So he writes the check, rips it out, folds it up, and as he greets me, he says, and I've got to run, but I want you to know there's more of this coming because the second deal is just about to come off, and, and I really want to, I, I believe in this ministry, I want to invest in it. So here I got the check. I greet him. I can't wait for him to leave. I open up the check. $200,000. The most money I've ever had in my, my hands up to that stage in my life. So here I'm standing. I'm bawling. I'm weeping. I, I can't believe what's just happened. I say to the Lord, Lord, thank you. But I, I mean, now I feel I now know how this thing works. You pray at 9 o'clock. You get the check at 12. Um, so... I mean, I got this thing, I got this thing nailed now, all right? So I got a handle on this thing. If only it worked that way. Because I have many other stories where it's taken a little longer. Okay, but now I have this check. I go to the church. Tell the church about the miracle that's taken place that next Sunday. The people are crying. I'm crying. We're so happy. You know, God's come through for us. God is in this. God is now giving us, he's catalyzing us to the next level. I mean, this is just incredible. And um, they knew, I mean, everybody in the church knew who gave the money because there weren't many people at that stage that could give that kind of money. So everybody knew, but, you know, we didn't say. And... But in that week, the guy phones me 
And he says to me, Alan, you know, I'm so excited about the possibilities of the future and where we're going. Um, can I have lunch with you? I thought, man, this is my $200,000 man. Of course we can have lunch. So here we go for lunch, and we're sitting at lunch, and I'm so pumped up and excited telling him about what's happening. And while I'm telling him what's happening, he says, you know, I've heard that you want to bring on board another pastor, a full-time guy that was an incredible worship guy. We needed another worship guy at the second campus, but he would also fill in on many other ministry levels, and he was just a great guy, and we'd been journeying together for many years. So I was going to bring him on board. And... Um, I said, yeah, I'm excited, you know, I want to bring him on board. Yanni Diakas is his name. Actually, he's now our campus pastor in London, UK, one of the campuses there. And uh, I said, you know, um, we're really excited about him coming on board. And he looks at me and he says, you know, Alan, I actually have an idea. Because bringing him on board is going to cost us a lot of money. Um, I was just wondering, you know, my son, and when he said it, it was like, it, it, I mean, it just it jolted inside of me. He said, my son is in the worship team, and he's studying theology, and there's such an anointing on his life, which is all true. Why don't we consider appointing him? And then I tell you what, you don't even have to pay him next year. I'll carry his salary, and I'll look after everything. And, and man, I knew I was in trouble. Because how, how do I now navigate this? I mean, this is, my, this is the angel God has sent. He's my $200,000 man. And I did what every good pastor would do. I said, you know, maybe I should just go pray about this. <laughs> I left there. I, I was screaming inside. I was saying, Lord, why this? Why this? How am I going to answer this guy? Because I knew the master had spoken. I knew we had to bring on the other guy. Anyway, gave it a few days, got back together. I sat down with him and I said, you know, I, I so appreciate that you are also dreaming and thinking, considering options within the context of our future. And I've thought about this and, you know, your son's still young and I know there's a future for him and we'd love to bring him on board at some stage. Really, that's the way I felt, but it was not the right time. And right now, I believe we'll miss God if we don't appoint this guy, Yanni Diakas. When I said that, I sensed how I was emotionally losing this guy. And it was like, Lord, please, you know, uh, how do I just bring him back? How, I, how do I make him see? How, I, how do I make him understand? Long story short, at that particular uh, meeting, he, he, after everything I said, he pushed back from the table and he looked me in the eye and he said, Alan, I want to tell you something. If you guys don't know how to be good stewards of the finances that God has entrusted to you, I might have to reconsider my commitment to this ministry. Man, I was devastated. I left there knowing I had a choice. Either I could say, okay, okay, uh, listen, please, you know, sorry. I'm so sorry. Stay with us. Or I can say, I'm going to go with what I really feel God said. Actually, they did decide to leave the church. 
Not only did he leave, he took his son, and they left in a huff. Now you've got to understand, this is in, in a space of about three weeks from him giving me the check. Now he's leaving. Now the church is asking questions. These guys that gave the money, why are they now leaving? Goodness, what are you guys doing with the money? Why would these people now leave? And now suddenly I'm with a crisis. I have a massive crisis. I have an integrity crisis. I, I now have a situation where people are saying, we're losing good people who want to invest in the church. And, 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 and what's happening? I mean, they must have information that we don't have. And, and now this whole thing that was this incredible thing now suddenly backfires. And I have a crisis. The fact is, we had to navigate that. It was painful. It was very difficult. But two years later, and this is the reason why I can tell you the story, because two years later, that man and his son were back, and they were sitting in my, my office, tears streaming down their cheeks, and they looked at me and they said, Alan, we have to come to apologize. We missed God. We know we wanted to manipulate you with our money. Would you forgive us? Could we come back? And they did come back, and we were in a sense vindicated, but they did come back and and interesting, a year later, we did appoint his son, but not because he had any more money, because he had actually gone through a crisis after that, lost everything, and it was damaging to them. And that's the reason why they came back, to say they were sorry. But I learned an incredible lesson in my young age as a leader. I learned that, that it pays off not to compromise the voice of the master. Don't ever be for sale. Don't ever allow any other voice to become stronger than the voice of the master. And if the master has spoken, commit yourself to give expression to that. Because here's the thing. It'll never be easy. There will be challenges on the journey. And as you, as you discover these challenges on the journey, if I have to go back on the 20 years, you know, that's the, the risk of, of sharing many times at a conference. You come, you share, people think, oh my goodness, you know, this is fantastic. We can do this, you know, but they don't understand the pain in the journey. And I, I don't want to sit here today and tell you about all the pain in the journey, but I do want you to know there has been pain in the journey. Pain in the journey. Uh, today, we're at a point where we really celebrate so much blessing, so much grace, so much of God's favor, so much of God's influence within our community and our environment, but it hasn't necessarily been without its challenges. And therefore, that's the premise. If I can, if I can just leave something with you today, it's to say... Um, don't get anxious about where you are in your journey. If there are challenges and things that you feel, man, this thing's not getting together and we're not quite there and, you know, we're not getting this thing. Just make sure that you can make this statement real in your life. I know that God has spoken. Because that's the thing that will carry you. That's the thing that will keep you. And, and, and have you see fruit in your life. Maybe just the last comment on this. I've also realized in the 20 years that there are seasons in ministry. 
There are spring seasons, and they're great. Summer seasons where you reap the harvest and there's fruit. And then sometimes it goes into fall. And uh, I've had all those cycles in the 20 years that we've journeyed. But I thank God because we stuck to what we believe God has spoken. We're seeing just it, this ministry grow and flourish and, and be blessed because we've, we've committed to that. Now, it's in that journey of the mission that I want to share a few practical things with you. Um, if we could get up on the screen just the vision of Doxadeo, um, as you've heard, it's the establishing of God's reign in 12 cities. Now, for us, that's, that's our deal, okay? 12 baskets, 12 cities, establishing the reign of God. We want to see that happen within the context of our world. And we have defined our world in eight spheres of society. Now, let me just say, this presentation is going to be available somehow, okay? So, I'm going to run you through this, but it will be available. We'll make sure that you will have access to this. Okay, so don't get too anxious about that. Um, if we say this is the vision, um, it's the establishing of the reign of God in 12 cities. Okay, or I'm, I see you don't have that slide. Okay, great, I'm sorry. Okay, we go through to the mission statement. Now, in the reign of God in the 12 cities, what we say is, we now clarify that vision with a mission statement of saying, we want to see lives transformed, people's lives transformed, and then see society transformed. So it's very simple for us. We know if people's lives can be changed, and we can get them to understand that life change is not just about getting into heaven, but being an agent of God's grace here on earth, we're going to see society being affected and influenced. Okay? Um, so that's our mission statement. Now, for us to transform people's lives, we've said we would like to now communicate to our people what that means. And we started talking about our people not as members of our church, but as partners of a dream. So you can't really join our church, but you can come become a partner. Now, if you become a partner, we commit ourselves to journey with you. And our commitment to you is to stimulate three primary kingdom actions in your life. And these three kingdom actions we call surrender, serve, and subdue. These three concepts surrender, serve, and subdue. And I want to talk you through these three concepts. Because what we're saying to people, we want to make you a kingdom agent. right? So if you become part of the church, you'll become a kingdom agent. And as a kingdom agent, we are going to empower you. We're going to equip you. We're going to journey with you in these three components. Now, the first one that we want to stir in your life as a city changer is surrender. Surrender. Now, 
what we mean by surrender is that we will help you grow in your passion for God and your passion for integrity in life. So, you see two banners there. These banners would have different artwork in different communities because we're in various communities now in Pretoria, South Africa, we're in London, we're in Auckland, New Zealand, we're also in Germany now. So the guys have different artwork, but these banners would be in every space that we have an interest in as Doxadeo. So whether it be a school, whether it be a church, whether it be the orphanage, whether it be our skills training program, wherever you go, we will be saying to people, the reason why we are here is we are raising city changes. If you ask any person, any partner of Doxadeo, what Doxadeo does, they will say they raise city changes. That's what they do. We as a church, that is our intention. Our schools, if you ask our schools why they are there, the kids are there, they are there because we are raising City changes. Because here's our deal. If we want to see a transformed community, we want to raise city changes. And the more city changes we can raise, the more people we have out there right now, as I'm standing here, seeing themselves as agents and partners of this dream. All right? So now suddenly people are taking responsibility with us to be able to affect our world. And... So we journey with them and say, listen, nothing's going to happen. You're not going to engage any program. You're not going to do anything until you start your journey with God. You must grow in a passion for God. You must understand your, your reference of being identified in Christ and who you are as an individual in your new identity. We want you to establish you in that. And as we establish you in that, you will grow in this passion for God and passion for for integrity. Now, the one thing that we found is, if we use the word passion, people, um, people will only suffer for things that they are passionate about. Isn't that true? I, had a, I have a friend here in Colorado. He does fly fishing. He wanted to take me for fly fishing one day. And I was all game because he's this big fly fisher guy, you know, he's going to teach me how to do all this stuff. And we were going to leave very early one morning. And... Um, as we prepared for this event, we went to bed early, and uh, I was supposed to get up very early the next morning. So I got up the next morning, and I just drew the curtains, and I looked outside, and I saw this was a miserable day. And I knew we wouldn't go. <laughs> so I got back into bed. And a few minutes later, there's a knock on the door. Alan, Alan, are you ready? And I said, ready for what? And he was like, what do you mean? I said, hey, didn't you check outside? It's a terrible day. And he, he was like, so what? We're going to fly fish today. I thought, this guy's crazy. I mean, he knew something that I didn't. So, I mean, that day I realized that some people can enjoy a day while others feel this is the worst thing that could have ever happened in their lives because they're passionate about something. They are prepared to suffer. I was not 
because they're not passionate about this. And here's the deal. We've sensed that if you can get people passionate about God and passionate about integrity, they'll be prepared to suffer. Whatever it takes, they will be passionate about that. And for us, this is the first step. We call that surrender. Or as we've now recently coined it, if you go up onto our website and check us out, you'll see there we now speak about it as knowing God. Knowing God. And the next one would be serve. Serve. Now, we have two more banners in the church or in the school or wherever you go. And these two banners would say a passion for people and a passion for service. So we not only want you to discover that God is working in you, we also want you to discover that God can now work through you. All right? So we challenge people and say, if you are in this kingdom journey with us, you're not just going to be this guy that's going to have more of God and more of God in your life, but you'd never get to the place where you roll up sleeves and get involved. If you're part of this deal in Doxadeo, you're journeying with us, this is the deal. We're going to get you to serve. If you don't like serving, this is not your church. This is not your environment because we're going to put pressure on you to serve. We want you to serve. So we're upfront about that. And people, when they sign up and say we want to be part of this, they know that we're going to take them on this journey. We're going to help you. We're going to create um, possibilities and, 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 and events and things so that you can be part of this whole thing so that you can know what it means to be a kingdom servant. All right? And then the third one is subdue. And uh, we have two banners up for subdue. The one is a passion for, and what it says there is Tswani, and that, that is our city that I stay in, the metro. The greater metro of Pretoria is called Tswani. And so we, we put that up there so that people can know this is our passion. We have a passion for a transformed city, a transformed geographical space. We carry this in our hearts that we believe that our city can become um, under the dominant influence of the lordship of Jesus Christ. We truly believe that. Okay? So that's our conviction. And I'll show you now how we engage those processes. So, but it all starts with transformed individuals. It all starts with people that's, that believe with us, this is what God wants me to do. And remember, subdue takes you back to the original dominion mandate that Adam had when God said, I entrust this to you. This is your garden you will guard and tend it. So for us, this is the call upon our lives. That mandate has not changed. It's there because we as human beings have to create the spaces in which other human beings can flourish. We don't engage education because we want to take over the educational system. We engage education because we want them to engage an understanding of what it means when Christ is glorified and when Christ's reference dominates educational environments, people flourish. And one of the old Christ um, followers, the old church fathers, Irenaeus spoke. He made this statement. He said, the glory of God is man fully alive. 
Listen to this. The glory of God is not man coming to church. The glory of God is man fully alive. Now, that's massive. And we have a role and a function to create the spaces where people can become fully alive. Well, let me just throw something in there. When I come to the U.S., and speak to people. Most people here are totally wasted because they work so hard. They run double jobs and moonlight and have to survive because there's a pressure on them to drive the right car, have a second, you know, uh, or a fifth flat screen TV and, uh, you know, all the stuff. And you know what's happening? The people are not fully alive. And those are the things we have to address. We have to engage culture and our environment and start creating an alternative reference for people to understand what this life is all about. Because then we'll bring glory to God. And many times those wasted, wiped out people have pressure because the church wants them to have so many other functions that they need to attend. And we just contribute to a system. Just a thought. Just a thought. All right, so here we are with city changes. Now, a city changer is raised within the context of a campus. Now, a campus has two dimensions to it. A campus really could be anything. It could be the church. It could be the school. It could be any environment in our context. But for your context... Let's say that's the church, right? It has groups and it has gatherings. Now, in the church setting, this is what our groups and gatherings look like, although we've now reduced it to three in each, all right? But there are a plethora of groups that people can be part of. But here's the principle. Gatherings are places of impartation. This is where the fivefold ministry or a gifted individual in a specific area of skill will communicate, help people to better understand how to navigate life, how to journey, how to serve God, how to engage spiritually, emotionally, just practically in terms of their lives. It's a gathering. It's a place of impartation. Groups are places of transformation. That's where people have accountability, and responsibility. So however you would structure that, we just feel these two things are equally important. They carry equal weight. We want people to be in quality relationships with other life-giving environments, but we also want people to attend moments of impartation. Now, once people are equipped within those different environments, we then engage community in, in the trust that there will be community transformation. And we are involved in eight spheres of society. And as I've already apologized, we started with this before we heard about the seven mountains. And we did not know there's only seven, so we found eight. But we also, what we did was, we say that we have church, the arts, Media, social society, 
or social services, sport, education, business, and government. Okay, so there's eight spheres of society for us. Now, the difference between the seven mountains is we have added sport, and we've also split arts and media as two different references, and the family that's in the seven mountains is incorporated for us within the context of the church. All right, so for those of you that have gone that route, if you don't know what I'm talking about, it's okay. All right? Now, if we look at these eight spheres of society, we work on a very simple strategy on three levels. We call it mobilizing, and then we've changed this word infiltration to engaging just very recently, because when we went to Germany, the Germans said to us, infiltration is not a good word. And uh, there's some history there. So we said, okay, give us another word. And they said, why, why don't you talk about engaging? So we said, fantastic, engaging. We'll do the engaging thing. Now let me quickly explain these three to you. And the third one is modeling. So it's mobilizing, engaging, and modeling. Mobilizing is exactly what I've just spoken to you. City changes, being equipped. So if there's a teacher, we equip them. We release them. Um... We just had a wonderful service just recently where we brought together all the medical people in, our, in, in, in the eastern part of our city. We said to all the medical people, come to church on Sunday. We're going to minister to you as medical professionals. So they came, the surgeons, the specialists, the doctors, the dentists, nurses, whoever, they were there. And we spoke about God using them as instruments of grace within our community. They're fighting the same devils and diseases and things, and God is using them. And then we invited them all forward in the church, and we were going to pray for them. And we were going to commission them to send them as agents of healing into our community. And man, it was a moment. Here these surgeons were, and people were sitting there knowing, that's my doctor, that's my dentist, this is, you know, and they were bawling, and this was just marvelous to see here, and next time this guy works on my mouth, it's going to be godly. And it's just, you know, just a marvelous experience here. And what happened was, in that moment, I just sensed, because I was facilitating that event, and I just sensed, but God is actually challenging us to get these people to understand that they cannot just through their skill minister to people, but also spiritually minister to people. And I said, well, you guys that are standing up front here, if you want to stay here, you're welcome. But we're now going to invite sick people. And if you want to pray for them, we would appreciate that. And so we invited sick people. And here all the people came forward that were sick. And here the doctors and the dentists, they were the people praying for healing in that moment. And the most incredible things happened. Man, that thing just catalyzed something in our whole community. And people started talking about, you know, these people that are doctors and surgeons and things that are now believing God for the miraculous. It's just an amazing experience. And you know what? doesn't ask anything from you additional. And immediately it brings these people into that space where they feel we're part of this program to touch this community. We do the same with teachers. 
We do the same with all the professions that we can identify and locate and say, come here. Sometimes we do that with the artists. Bring all the artists into the church and say, during the worship today, the painters are just painting. The sculptors are just doing what they need to do. The people are just busy doing this. And as they're busy doing this, we're worshiping God. And then when we're finished, we talk about arts in the kingdom of God and how it gives expression to God's purposes and, and, and how we need to redeem the arts and trust God for that to come back. You know how it empowers these art people? And then after the service, they all have their exhibitions and the people can go and watch their exhibitions and actually buy art from Christian people to decorate their homes and have prophetic utterances in their homes. It's just incredible how that activates engagement. So that's the mobilizing part. When we talk about infiltrating or then in, engaging, um, for instance, in the educational environment, we've decided that we want to engage more actively in the schools, high schools, I don't know what you call them, secondary schools, middle schools, whatever schools you have here. We just have primary and high uh, but all the schools of our environment. So we went and, and did a stock take of all the schools, found out what are all the educational environments of our city, mapped it out, and then said, let's get the strategy rolling to engage these environments. And so we set up a whole program called TREE, Transforming Educational Environments. And that works on five different levels. Um, we started realizing many of our principles, headmasters, what do you call them here? Principles. The principles are totally over their head in terms of just the strain of leading what they need to lead in these schools. And some of these state schools are really difficult to lead as, as principles. So we started a program for, for principles. And we realized if we do that as the church, you know, they're not really going to rock up there and come. So we found principles in our church, and we brought them into that space and said, you know, how would it be if you guys became the invite reference to other principles, bringing them together and saying, hey, this is just going to be a time of, of sitting together, of being empowered. We get people to come and speak to us. We consider some stuff together, and we just start building a whole reference of input into our lives in this journey. Long story short, we now have on a quarterly basis 160 principles coming together for a whole morning every quarter and we're behind that whole program and we're making sure that that program is aligned and they're just coming together thinking they're getting input and Christian blessing and some grace upon their lives. But we're managing that as part of our program, the Transforming Educational Program. Just amazing. And then we said, you know, how can we, how can we access the schools for engaging teachers, engaging parents, engaging the students. One of the things we did is we said we'd like to get youth workers into the schools. So we started putting together a strategy to get youth workers into the schools, and actually we started getting that right. The schools embraced this and said, we'll, we'll get youth workers into the schools because they're not paying for them, and we're putting them there as the church, and, and we're finding funding all over, and right now we're blessed because we now have 45 
youth workers permanently within different state schools of our, of our environment. And this church here, New Life, is actually sponsoring some of those youth workers in our, in, in our city. So it's just amazing to see what the possibilities are. So we're talking engaging. So the, the thing is, is to go sit down and ask yourself, how can we engage the different spheres of society? And we've taken our time. We're not in every one of them with a massive bang, but we're growing in certain of them, and we want to be in all of them. Um, and, and, and see God's grace in that. We've taken education as a very strong reference, and um, we're even training teachers right now. We have a teacher's training program where teachers are now being trained in Christ-centered education so that we can flip them into the systems um, of education in, in, in the next season. And it's just exciting to see what's busy happening. We have a City Changes Institute now that's training in different of these these um, environments. And then the third one is modeling. So if we, if we mobilize teachers in our own constituency, we're also engaging through our transforming educational program, but we also have our own schools. And uh, right now we have seven different schools in our city. Um, and here's the interesting thing. Because we started our own schools, and we didn't just want to start Christian schools. We wanted to start Christ-centered education. And there's a whole thing that I can share on that. But we, we said, Lord, give us an opportunity to roll out this on a national scale. But we didn't have the money. And we needed an investor. And the long story short, we now have a banking house, a very reputable investment house in South Africa that has now come alongside us to roll out Christ-centered education across our nation in the next season. And as I'm standing here, the fin finals on the due diligence processes are taking place right now. So I'm in contact with my guys as I'm here just to say, okay, where are we in this thing? Because we, we want to finalize it so that we can establish it so we can roll out in the next season. And how did this start? I mean, let me tell you how it started. We started a school with nothing. My kids and the principal's kids, we enrolled them. And then we went to the people and said, okay, we're going to have a school. Here are the kids. We believe in this. We want you to believe in this. And that's where it started 12 years ago. Now we're at the point where we will become one of the most reckoned private educational institutions in our nation. It's possible. Really, Maybe that's not your calling. But it's possible that you could make a difference within your community in what you're doing. Let me land it. The last slide is we make sure that everybody sings from the same page, whether it's in London, whether it's in South Africa, whether it's in Auckland, New Zealand, by establishing something we call a mandate. Now, the mandate document is... Could we go there? The mandate. Next, there we go. All right, the mandate. Okay, this is a one-page document that brings together everything we do in Doxadeo. Now, you would recognize this. If we talk about the glory of God, that's what Doxadeo means. 
Um, for the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea, Habakkuk 2.14. That was where we got our name from, the glory of God, the knowledge of the glory of God covering the earth. And this is a wave, by the way. It's not a frightened ghost. It's a wave uh, to show that the glory of God is cascading over all. Okay. All right. And then we say we work through leaders. It's a very strong leadership-driven uh, environment where we raise more leaders. The more leaders we can raise, the more city changes we can mobilize. So here's a leadership uh, verse in Hebrews 13, 7. Remember those leading you who have spoken to you the word of God, whose faith you follow, consider the end of their conduct. Now, we say a leader in Doxodea has three things. He must have a word worth listening to, he must have a faith worth embracing, and he must have a life worth imitating, coming from that particular scripture. Now, if that means he's got a word worth listening to, he has got to understand our message. If he has a faith worth embracing, he has got to understand our vision. If he has a life worth imitating, he has to understand what is the result we want in people's lives, and we want him to model that particular result because we reproduce after our own kind. So we want leaders to see this as the defining reference of their own lives. Okay? So we want to say, clarify the, the vision what is the result and what's the message? Now, just listen to this, and I'm not going to spend too much time on that. But you've just heard everything I've said about the vision and the strategy. Remember now, the strategy is raising city changes who will surrender, serve, and subdue in a campus through groups and gatherings that will affect the community through mobilizing, engaging, and modeling. Now, if we want that to happen, we will have this result. But to have this result, we will teach people certain things. Now, here's the deal. If you want people to have a passion for God and a passion for integrity, well, then you have to teach them identification in Christ, intimacy with God, and integrity in life. Because if you don't teach them that, you're not going to get that. So if you want this result, adjust what you're busy teaching the people. All right? If you want people to serve, have a passion for people in service, then teach them the motivation of love, that we are motivated by love. That's the reason why we're doing what we're doing. And this is lay ministry. We hate that word, but sorry about that. The L's had to work, okay? So um, really what that means is every individual is called. Every individual has an anointing. Every individual is a contribution. The, the, the ministry of the priesthood of believers, okay? So we want every person to understand that they have a calling, but they also have a stewardship of life. God has entrusted to them certain things, money, time, relationships, networks, whatever. How do you steward what God has given you? You see, if I can teach people that we are motivated by love, and that they have a calling on their life, and that God has entrusted certain things in their lives that they can use in the ministry, then they can now engage a passion for people and a passion for service. So if you want that outcome, there's something you have to teach. If I want people to have a passion for our city and the nations, I must teach them a new worldview. I must teach them that Christ is Lord of all. He's not just Christ. He's not just Lord of the church. He's not just Lord of your personal salvation. He's Lord of education. He's Lord of business. He's Lord of the governance of our nation. He's Lord of all those things. And how do we find the expression of his lordship in those areas? I have to affect their worldview. I have to teach them that. I must teach them 
that the workplace is a place of ministry, a place that is holy, a place that they can have the glory of God be evident. And, and I teach them that reference, but I also want to teach them warfare because I don't want them to rush in there with a big Bible and slap people over the head and tell them how bad they are and, you know, us Christians are the only ones that really understand. No, I want them to warfare. How? In the power of the opposite spirit. What does that mean? It means that where there is arrogance Arrogance and pride don't come with the same arrogance and pride, just having three scriptures. Come with the opposite spirit. Come in the power of humility and serving. Because that's what Jesus said. I send you as lambs amongst wolves. That's how he commissioned them. I'm sending you as lambs upon, I mean, I might have put my hand up as a disciple and said, Lord, are you sure you didn't get that thing wrong? You know, maybe we're wolves amongst lambs, you know. No, no, no. Paul said, when I'm weak, I'm strong. Why? He knew what it was to function in the power of kingdom life. It's the power of the opposite spirit. You see, where there's um, a sense of, of, of greed and, and self-centeredness come with generosity and giving. Because then you break the power of that spirit. Where there's hate and bitterness come with forgiveness and love. Why? You see, if we can mobilize a community in the power of the Holy Spirit, in the power of the opposite spirit, we're now affecting our world in a new way. But if we just come with our agenda with the same spirit, I mean, we're just taking over something with exactly the same spirit. It's, there's so much to say about that. I realize you're right, you're at the end of the session, but just trust me, I'm a pastor. It's what you need to know. <laughs> All right. So here's the thing I just want to say to you. If you want people to have some reference as an outcome in their life, make sure you align what you're teaching, preaching, and communicating. And this document is the document that we use all over the world. Now, how do we know people are doing this? We have a measurement instrument in which we measure this in people's lives. So we've had a professor at the University of Pretoria help us design a questionnaire that we have on an annual basis. And I can tell you exactly what every one of our 27 campuses are preaching on an annual basis by just getting that information. I can tell you preaching works. Why? Because I can tell you what people have been speaking by just measuring this. I trust somewhere, because our time's up, somewhere something fell into your spirit. Um, if there's... I wish I had time to sit with each one of you and hear your story and hear what God is saying to you. But you're so welcome. We have a website. I have a try, attempt a blog and tweet and whatever. But you're welcome. If you need anything and we can assist you with any information, send me, just drop me a mail and we'll see what we can send to you. May God bless you as you engage. Yeah, the, uh, the story that I told yesterday, the five points, that's all on the DVD. That's all on the DVD. 
And let me say this, if you don't have money on you and you really want one of those DVDs, go get it right now. Tell them I told you, you can have it for free. Okay, so bless you. Thank you very much. Appreciate that.